blackscholarspublishing.com. That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Episode 27. How are you guys doing out there? We are in an unprecedented time. And in this unprecedented time, there are a lot of difficulties going on related to education and unrelated to education. I just pray that everyone is staying safe. You're making wise decisions. You're encouraging your friends, colleagues, and relatives to stay safe and also make wise decisions. You're limiting your trips to the grocery store or pharmacy or restaurant. If you're an essential worker and you are physically going to work five, six, seven days out of the week, uh, on behalf of the Black Scholars Podcast and Black Scholars Publishing, I want to personally thank you for your hard work. This time is historical and it's something that we don't fully understand right now of how this happened, why this happened. And I want to explore on this episode and actually let me correct myself. This is the beginning of a series of episodes dedicated to education and how it's impacted by the coronavirus and the pandemic. Kids are trying their best, quotation marks. Some kids are trying their best to learn. And for a multitude of reasons, they're not able to learn as effectively or efficiently as if they were in a classroom. If you guys think back a few years ago, I want to say 2017, when we had all of those shootings, we had a ridiculously high number of shootings in this country. And remember, the discourse was, should we arm teachers? Well, the other part of that discourse was, maybe we should go to distance learning for a majority of K through 12. Now we're here. It's difficult. It's difficult for the schools. It's difficult for individual educators. 
It's difficult for parents. It's difficult for students. We got some kids who don't have access to internet, Wi-Fi. We have some people who the lights might be off. Shouldn't be the case in a pandemic, but depending on the town or city, maybe it is. If you don't pay the bill, they cut them off. Some people, they might be dealing with a potential eviction. Credit cards aren't getting paid. Credit scores are going down. Bank accounts are getting hit heavy. People have lost their job. People are losing their minds. Child abuse is up. Domestic abuse is up. This is a moment that we will always remember. And I look at it from a spiritual perspective, regardless of what you believe in. And I really do believe that this is an opportunity for us to reset, for us to reflect. I really do feel that uh, God, whatever you might call him, is not happy with how things are in this world, specifically this country. A lot of hypocritical actions, a lot of contradictions. We're supposed to be a nation that believes in God. But the actions show and have shown historically quite the opposite. I hope you guys thoroughly enjoy this series. For this particular episode, I'm going to start with Dr. Wiley Tidwell III. He does have a doctorate degree. He is a former professor and he's currently a high school teacher in Cobb County. I'm praying for all of you. You can follow me on Instagram at the Black Scholars Podcast. You can also find me on Facebook. Remember, there is a Facebook group. My book is still available, but I don't even want to promote any of that right now because none of it is important. The only thing that's important is that you are well, your family is well. You're taking this time to relax, but also strategize how you can become better as a person, as a spirit, and as a professional. If you guys need me, find me on Instagram, Facebook, email me, theblackscholarspodcast at gmail.com. We need each other. This is a tribe. This is a collective. You are not in this alone. I got your back. Let's get into it. Coronavirus! So, Dr. Wiley Tidwell III, welcome. Yes, sir. Welcome, welcome to the Black Scholars Podcast, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. So, this is going to kick off a series on... Uh, which is obviously on everyone's mind every single day, which is the pandemic. And um, specifically for this podcast, we as black and brown educators and all educators uh, and students and communities and stakeholders, um, the entire world is impacted by this. And uh, so that's going to be the focus of the series is how is the pandemic uh, impacting us as educators? 
Um, but before we get into that, let's get into a little bit about about you. Um, so you're in Cobb County, and uh, that's uh, Atlanta, Georgia, or is that outside of Atlanta? Yeah, it's directly outside of Atlanta. Okay. Um, it's just, I want to say the second largest county in Georgia. The largest county is going to be, of course, Fulton, which encompasses all of Atlanta. Okay, okay, dope, dope. And um, how long have you have you been there, or is this born and raised? No, um, I moved out here when I started my master's at Clark Atlanta. I moved out here in 06. Okay. Um, I met my wife right before I was about to move back to L.A., and I've been here ever since. <laughs> okay, dope. And so um, with you being there so long, I'm assuming you enjoy it? I'm getting more and more used to it. Um, okay. I'm, I live in this, like I said, I live more like in kind of like in the country area. Okay. Um, it's a lot quieter than I'm used to. I grew up in South Central LA, so I was used to helicopters and just a lot of noise. Right. right, um, right. This is a lot quieter than I'm ever used to. And in fact, whenever I go home, I get my best sleep, even though I live here because it's so quiet. I mean, it's it's nice. It's a good place to raise kids. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot cheaper than my home, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, absolutely. I understand. And so, um, currently, you're teaching ethnic studies and A push. Yeah, right now I teach um, A push, ethnic studies, and I got a class of honors US as well. Okay, and uh, is the what does the A push stand for? Is that honors? That's AP US history. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And um, it looks like you've been doing it for a while, man. You're a veteran, fourteen years in. Yeah, um, I started off teaching college. Um, my background is in both um, Black Studies and Meteorology, so I started, my first teaching gig was actually teaching environmental science at a trade school, and I shortly after that left the National Weather Service because I really like teaching more than sitting in front of computer coding, and I taught college for a little bit over 10 years. Um, I was in a situation where I was a um, department head and I just think you were to really get along with the dean. Um, we really bunted his a lot. So I did not get my tenure. I got laid off. And then I had a friend that told me about the AVID program at a local school up here. So I was kind of at home just writing, just um, looking at what my next move was going to be. Um, I had a lot of money saved up, put away. So I wasn't as hungry, but it's getting to that point. And then I started doing AVID. And I started thinking, you know, this happened right after the election of Donald Trump. And just how I had to, we had to really talk to those, counsel those kids. The next day, because at my school, we had a small right. Um, it's just a lot of conflicting issues. Um, and shortly after that, I started getting into high school teaching. I had to get my teaching certificate, which was crazy. With 10 years and a doctor degree, I had to go get a teaching certificate. Right. Um, and then um, finish that, and now I'm still doing it. So, yeah, I like it now. So, question, question for you. Um... So, Dr. Tidwell, with you teaching 10 years at the collegiate level and then coming down to K through 12, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make uh, personally and professionally to get acclimated to K through 12? My mouth. Um, I could really say anything I wanted, <laughs> almost anything right. I wanted. Right. Now I can't. I have a, And it's still even difficult now to where I have a lot more constraints. So... Um, that's why I really was so hard by pushing ethnic studies class because that way kind of allowed me to be myself and that whole because my, my main research and focus is always in black studies and um, ethnic studies like my dissertation dealt with stigmas associated with incarceration of black males and then I wrote other papers talking about how it affects Latinos and Asian Americans so uh, I was very 
like kind of stuck in a little bubble with standards. And I kind of like, that was my biggest, like, I remember when I got started, I got started in January, which is halfway in the semester. The content wasn't the problem. It was the idea of how do I deal with an IEP, a 504, and how do I deal with standards? And I was, and I had no training on that. So I literally, and I had my first class at 15 um, IEPs and 504s together. Wow. And I was just like, and my teaching style was able to get it done. And I started learning. I knew a lot of the stuff they call with pedagogy strategies. I guess I always did this stuff. I just didn't know what it was. So the terminology, make sure I watch my mouth. I couldn't use profanity like I used to. I couldn't be as as abrupt as I used to be. I had to be a little bit more compassionate than I used to be. And then also just use, understand like all the different learning styles and stuff like that. So. Now I look back at I probably had a lot of college students that had a lot of learning disorders that I had no idea about. Right, um, right. And when I started getting my gift to cert, that's when I started learning like about all these different things. Like, oh wow, and I started being able to talk to students differently. So even now, with my college students I teach online, I can see them a lot differently than I did maybe even three years ago when I started teaching high school. Dope, dope, dope. Well, I, I do want to say um, welcome and and thank you for coming down to K through twelve. Um, as you know, being a, a scholar yourself, there's not many of us um, that look like us in the classrooms um, or even in the schools. So um, definitely, thank you for coming down, man. Um, and I think I think the numbers are still somewhere between one to two percent, you know, depending on the source you're looking at for African American male teachers, specifically when you start talking about core classes or classes that are more academic focused versus like a, a PE or, or being a coach, which there's nothing wrong with that. But, yeah. You know, it, it, it's important that kids see us in um, these classes that require a lot of, you know, critical thinking and analytical Most thinking definitely. and reading and writing. So thank you. Thank you. And welcome. Um, and that was probably my other biggest thing is like, I, I am really kind of trying hard not to coach just because I don't want to be put into that stigma yeah, with that you know you're a black male you're a teacher you're a coach so yeah i want to coach like I, my background i played um baseball basketball through college yeah i want to coach but then i also don't want to be put in that stigma because right. it's so hard getting my teacher my students to call me doctor right yeah i know they call me coach in a heartbeat so i just yeah so I, it's a hard fight to not want to do it but yeah. then i kind of like like you just said it's not and you're right there's not very many of us particularly with those higher degrees it's, and then and then i noticed even in my time, I was talking to another assistant principal. There's even less that has that has like a PhD considered a, instead of an EDD. Right. So it's just it's just very very rare to have that. And yeah, it's it's crazy when you teach. You think about who we teach. Because like my school is predominantly like seventy five percent on free and reduced lunch, and it's just crazy how there's not very many of us there teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, but I also understand why because the last three years trying to get this teacher certificate has been hell. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And I was just now every day I'm like, why am I doing all this? I could be doing other things that you making more money. Exactly. But then I really like what I'm doing. But yeah. I mean the process to get certified is insane. And a lot of my friends still teach college, like, why are you doing this? Because I'm like, I sure like it. I mean it's worth it. Right. But it's insane. It shouldn't be this difficult to get certified to teach. So I know in Georgia they don't use the praxis um what what is the test company or what is the series of examinations that you have to take to be certified there? Um, there's a lot of GACE exams you got to take. Okay. So like my degrees background is going to be in sociology and law. Um, so I'm teaching history, but 
I had to make arguments why I could teach history because all my degrees was, you know, sociology and law. And they're like, well, that's not really history. I'm like, law is based off of history. So, like, I had to literally do a whole argument on that. And even right now, I can't I can't technically teach government and econ, even though that's what my background is in. So I got to take a Gates exam. Okay. So you had to do that. Um, I had to take the EdTPA, which was difficult because it's like, okay, I had to look for all these specific little things and do recordings. It wasn't hard. It was just difficult that where it was time consuming. And then for me, I had to take a Gates entry exam and I aced the writing part. I aced the reading part, the math through geometry. I have not looked at geometry since like 11th grade. Right. Right. Like when I was in college, we took physics with calculus. And I'm sorry, but it's not that I mean geography. I had to go back and literally relearn geography, not geography, but geometry, because the test asked me, asked me for that. And I have yet to see where am I using geometry in my curriculum, but. About maybe six thousand dollars later, I got my teacher certificate. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, man, we we appreciate it, and uh, I'm confident it's gonna all pay off. But I'm glad you're doing something that you love doing, man. Um, yeah. So so let's talk about uh, the topic at hand. So when's the last time you actually seen your students? When's the last time you were in the classroom? May thirteenth. Not no, not May. March thirteenth. March thirteenth. Mm. Wow. Wow, March 13th, and was that a Wednesday, if you can remember? Let me go look at my calendar. I think it was a Friday. The reason I know that date is because our county kind of made us whole grades, and they're still trying to tell us what to do. Right. Um, I want to say it was a Friday. Let me see. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the 13th yeah. is... Friday Okay. 13th. Yep, and the last time I saw my students was on March 12th. And uh, okay. on March 12th, um, here, here in Memphis, Tennessee, um, the major district, uh, which is Shelby County Schools, uh, had officially released a statement on the 12th um, saying that uh, they were going to shut school down uh, because of the coronavirus for an additional two weeks. And I believe they were just coming off of spring break. And so, wow. for, and so for my district, which I'm out in Collierville, which uh, is like a suburb of Memphis, uh, my school district, we were going into uh, our spring break. And at the time, we hadn't officially said anything. Um, it was kind of like, that's kind of like the thing with the, the suburban uh, school districts here. They didn't want to commit to you know, they didn't want to jump the gun, where in actuality they should have jumped the gun. So I'll tell you what ended up happening. Um, I needed a mental health day for that Friday. And so okay. I actually called... Wait, wait, you said you got a mental health day? I took a mental health day. I wish I could get that. Well, I mean, I didn't, they, they don't call it a mental health day. I'm calling it a mental health day. I oh, told, okay, okay. I call cool. it sick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I w yeah, you're right. They should. You should just be able to take a mental health day. But uh, yeah, I called. I called out sick because I had a, a bunch of stuff going on, and I'm in grad school right now, working on my admin's licensure, and I just literally needed a day. And you know how you kind of get like um like an inkling, like you like a spider sense that something's off, something's wrong. Something told me like, don't go to school tomorrow. Don't go to work. And so I legitimately <laughs> called out. I said I need a mental health day. And um, and the 13th, that's when everything came down and they said they're going to shut the school down for an extra week after spring break. And then, you know, it just extended and extended and extended. 
and it hasn't been the same since, and I haven't seen my students since. Um, so first question, um, how has the pandemic impacted your school and your responsibilities as an educator? So I know you're at home and uh, earlier you were saying that you were working on lesson plans. So can you describe that for me? Like what, what's going on at home and connecting with your students? All right. I am a lot different than some of my other colleagues. So I'm going to speak great for myself. I work at a very fast pace. Mm-hmm. So when we let when we went out, all I had left was two weeks of material to be to be taught. I use a flipped classroom model, so I use a lot of the stuff that everybody's using now. I've been doing that since day one. So my students have always been online. Uh, we do all the lectures and stuff at home, and then we come to school and do like activities like play Monopoly to talk about the guildization things like that. My district, similar to your situation, the 13th was our last day. 13, 12, but the 11th, we had a teacher, a shortened day where we're supposed to have meetings. On that day is when our district basically started getting us prepared to um, be out of school. Um, they was talking about, you know, like they started throwing all this stuff about online learning, things like that. And a lot of us thought we was going to be out on the 12th because on the 12th is where we supposed to, you know, make sure the students understood that we were doing stuff online. So, like, my students signed up waiver back in January by doing online learning. I was just saying, like, okay, we're going to sit. I just told my students about what was going on. We just kept teaching. And I told them, we probably won't be here after today or tomorrow. And then Friday's when they officially let us know. So then we was out for two weeks. And then our third week was supposed to be spring break. Uh, so my classes have been really sh- kind of like straightforward, streamlining. We've been still doing the work using Google Classroom. I use a lot of Nearpods, vocabularies. I do video lectures. What I'm doing right now is stuff in my AP class because. My P class, as far as they test, they got changed this year because of COVID. So the whole formatting and style is different. But for like all my other classes, I just clicking buttons and submitting work because it's already done. But it's not stuff that my county has evolved. Like I know I did a PD earlier in the year talking about how to infuse hip hop using Nearpods. And that was something a lot of people was like, okay, we need to go ahead and buy Nearpods, we need to buy vocabulary. And in hindsight, if we had that, it'd probably be a lot easier to do the digital learning. Because if I look at what my kids are doing, the teachers, they're getting better now because we've been out again since March um, 13th. But at the beginning, they were just trying to put together stuff. You could, you could tell by the lesson plan, they were just trying to throw stuff together. They didn't really have a plan, which for me is kind of odd because my background is a lot of online teaching. So we don't have a set LMS. We don't have a canvas. We don't have a blackboard. We don't have anything like that. Um, and I'm hoping that now we do get that stuff. We do get the training for it because... This will make this a lot easier. And the problem is, I don't even in my department, a lot of my teachers, they use Google Classroom. But before I got there, no one even used Google Classroom but one guy. So I did a whole training, and then three years later, they're now using it, so they're a little bit easier. But even the functionality is kind of bad because a lot of those same teachers, they use that as their blog and not actually having a blog. And, you know, LMS and the blog are two different things. Right. And trying to get them to get that much is difficult. And now I'm looking at it like this since like I had a I had to train a um I had to um move out of ethnic studies to take some other classes I got somebody got promoted so I'm trying to help this other teacher out she's like yeah I need to go to your blog she's like that's it was that your blog I'm like yeah Google Classroom is not a blog that is a classroom <laughs> right Google Classroom right so like I, and the, the, our county really is big on having blog but they didn't and I remember I was talking to people I know in the county like we need to get an LMS we need to get like a Canvas we need to get a Blackboard start implementing that. Right. It will save you a lot of money in the back end, and it will prepare you for stuff like this. And now this has happened, and now everybody is caught with their pants down, which is crazy because you live in the South. You know, we have snow days just because of, of like a half an inch of ice or snow. They shut and everything down. 
right. shut everything down. So it's like you see these things happening where you can still digitally teach our students, even if you have a half inch ice day. So this is coming from the background of like teaching in colleges, college and universities where we've we've been doing this for like the last six or seven years. Like since I started teaching college, we've always I've always had an LMS. That's how I learned and got so good with LMSs. It's crazy how K through 12, and I'm just speaking, I guess, from my county that we don't have that. And I know some counties, they use Google Classroom, and that's great, too. But there's, like, Blackboard and Canvas, and there's some other ones, too. Those ones I like the most, and there's so many things you could do with. Like, with Canvas, you can teach the whole class online. You can do video feedback to the students as far as how I give students feedback is better. Right. To have, for us not to have that, I think you really see a literally, like, a hole, a gaping hole that you got right now. Because now, I just got an email now talking about a training on DBQs. I'm like, wouldn't it be easier if we just do all the stuff? To, you can just make a classroom in, in like, Canvas. And just people go do it and you sign off and do a test. Exit ticket or something on it. But it really showed how unprepared and I would say how a lot of 20th century thought is still embedded into the school system. Yeah. Even though we have 21st century students, we still are teaching in the 20th century. But, yet, and, yeah. but in the classroom, they want to hold us up to, you know, be engaged and do this stuff 21st century. But the background as far as administratively, they're still 20th century working as far as, okay, if class, like I had my principal, she went out and she left pamphlets of stuff in the um, grocery stores. Well, if you're, you have a very, we're the second largest county, we should be one-on-one. -on -one. Everybody should be able to get a tablet. Everybody should be able to get a uh, computer. And then everybody can just drop the information there, which makes things a lot easier. Now, I, now I knew though, I do know Fulton County, I believe they are one-on-one -on -one and they have computers. I know other counties been actually having stop spots where they can go get computers like why is it that our county is not doing that when we have all this money and yeah you can talk about the politics of it i learned a lot about politics over the last two weeks right. about i i was actually offered a promotion and i got stopped because my principal didn't want me to leave yet um so the politics of it is really crazy because it's not for the betterment of our students and i look at my students that luckily a lot of my students they have technology because i would find out about it in january but I also know a lot of other um Students that do not have it, they they need to be able to get these computers out. It's not like we don't have the money. We just got to reallocate how we spend the money. Right, right. And I think from a district's perspective, when something like this is going on, um, and I'm not sure because I'm in Tennessee, so I'm not 100% sure on how Georgia's funding goes, at least from the federal to state or local level. But I know their probably first thing was, can we still pay our people? while this is going on and you know what money are we going to get our full credit per student that we typically would if they're not physically within our facility so like you said they're still working on a previous centuries module fiscally um so and you kind of said this i just want to clarify so your high school although your kids do have technology it's not issued by the school. So you're not a one-on-one -on -one school, right? No, we're not okay. a one-on-one -on -one school, which okay. is crazy to be the second biggest county in Georgia. Um, a lot of my, now my students, my students, a lot of them are also part of a magnet. So they come from different parts of the county. Okay. I live in the Southern part of the county, which is a little bit lower on economic status. Um, and I have students from all over the place, they can live in the most affluent parts of Cobb County to where we live at. And there's a, and like, I've done a lot of, um, observations at other schools and it's like night and day how other counties are and how even the school around the corner from my house is because they have endow endowments to where they actually spend more money and they have money to give kids 
But still, as a county, we have not given out tablets or computers to everybody, which, again, I think is crazy in the 21st century when right. everything you can do in a classroom can be based on technology. Agreed. Definitely. Now, there, there could be a lot of problems with having it, but it's also like have problems. The same thing you have with books and everything else. I mean, there's always a way. I remember the last school we got, we was able to give, and my last school was a um, audio technology school. Right. Every student got an Apple. Right. That Apple, if you're in, if you're a music producer, that's everything in your life. So you're not mm-hmm. going to lose it, and you can take value in that. And just, if we put that same value, did we have some students lose their computers? Yeah, but they had to go buy another one, right. or they wasn't able to complete the program. Yes, that's college, but we still got to make sure we hold. I mean, the parents, in some way, shape, or form, are paying tax dollars on these edu- on, the, on the kids' education, and them getting a computer that way. Yeah, we all know it's not free, but right. it does help that to be more efficient in what they can do and it gets them prepared for if they do go to college or they go to a trade school or even they go to the military because they're using technology there too i mean if you think about um and i know you know pretty much all states are doing their own thing now but if you could think back to a few years back we had this huge push for common core standards and the whole thing behind the common core standards is we want our kids to be uh, college and career ready and we also want them to be able to compete globally well if kids are going to be able to complete go- globally or even nationally then they have to be able to utilize technology and um right to to piggyback on your point so i'm at a middle school that um is one-to-one and a lot of those kids who have been in the district they're used to being one-on-one probably since they were in third or fourth grade however these kids still don't know how to properly use the technology for academic work they can do the very basics but i'm gonna be honest with you man i i know students who are very bright who don't know the difference between a Microsoft Word document as far as a file, so a DOC or a DOCX, and a PDF. I've got kids who don't know how to use OneNote. Um, I was the only teacher in my building who was using Google Classroom, um, you know, since we're talking about LMS, and there's a lot you can do on Google Classroom, but of course it's nothing like you can do like with the Canvas or whatnot. Um, but even on Google Classroom, there was so much teaching. I'm an English teacher. I felt like I was a computer science teacher or a technology <laughs> teacher because I yeah. had to teach them the basics just for them to be able to retrieve and submit and access documents. And it's like you guys have had your iPads or some type of tablet for the past, you know, four or five years, and they've never received right. the training. A lot of our, um, a lot of my colleagues, and, and I'll say this about my district, they push the use of instructional technology, but I think mm-hmm. the push for the use of instructional technology, um, because we are an Apple certified school, is more so because they were going for that Apple certification. I do not okay. believe that they actually are using the technology in a way that's pushing kids to use it Again, back to those Common Core standards to be college and career ready. Kids know how to, you know, access a document. They know how to annotate a document. But when it comes to creating their own, they struggle, man. They struggle. The kids aren't interested in coding. Like we have an entire STEM like um, program at my school. None of the kids talk about coding. None of them. None of the kids talk about coding. And it's like, what are they doing in there? 
because I mean just just because this is the you know black scholars podcast and focus on black and brown educators I feel comfortable in saying this you know when I think back to um, Black Wall Street and I think back to the Harlem yeah. Renaissance and all the way up to now the lesson that we should all learn is that it's the producers and not necessarily the consumers who are in that top 1%, who are financially free, um, right. who are the leaders and the movers and shakers in, in this economy that we are currently in. And that economy will continue to evolve. It's all about the technology. And so I really want like my kids and for every educator listening to this, we've got to push for our kids to be able to produce you know, they can watch, you know, everyone right now is watching Netflix like crazy, right? Everybody with Netflix yeah. or Hulu or whatever it is. Why don't we have like projects? So, you know, project-based learning where kids know how to use that technology. They know how to even write a script. Like, where are the producers? Who's creating this art? Who are Who's creating these films? Um, right. And so there needs to be some major adjustments. Um through the K through 12 system, we knew that before. Um, I do believe now, with the you know quarantine and the pandemic going on, that it's even it's even stronger now. Like we really, really see yeah. it. Um, here's my concern, man. I'll share this. I'll share this with you and the listeners. My worry is that you know we've got this quarantine, we've got this pandemic, and so education, you know, the kids are being homeschooled, whatever that means. Um, and there's a lot of inequity there, especially, you know, you talk about kids with IEPs or 504s. Are their parents... They're struggling. They're, they're definitely struggling. They're definitely struggling. I had one student have to go be committed. Oh, wow. Wow. And I mean, this dude, he is smart, but his stress level is so crazy to the point to where it's... Like, when teacher next year i am afraid <laughs> what's yeah. gonna happen i know a lot of those teachers that come after me they not they don't they don't get some of the students like i get them All i right. had a student last year he he didn't have iep but he said i you know I, he was like i like how how i was and i grew up i was really smart but i was gonna be popular i was gonna be known as a nerd so i did right. things to not be known as a nerd but in the background i got a's and b's mm-hmm. he went to this other teacher after the food i'm looking at him like um have you talked to him no, I just wrote him up like, you need to talk to him. Like, right. you don't get how smart he is. Right. Just talk to him. Let him know that you're not going to deal with that. And, again, he had a B in my honors class. He should have had an A if he wasn't acting a fool the first month. But it took a month for him to, to get to me. like, look, this ain't going to happen. You got to do this X, Y, and Z. He was the best one I ever had. Yeah. So those same students with those IEPs and 504s, yeah, some of them really need the extra help and them not – and uh, and I did my doctorate online. You doing stuff online? You teaching yourself? And right. they they need the confines of what a classroom is. And right. I will tell anybody. And I know it's a different world. I was like, if you can do it high school in your first four years of college, do it the old school way to get it in because teaching yourself is an art. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, to my to my point, like like you said, with those kids with IEPs and five hundred fours. There is a huge light right now on K through 12 education and even at the collegiate level. But, you know, we suffer and maybe it's because we're so distracted with so much technology. So maybe this is the the negative side of technology or, or probably more so social media with the distractions and the ADHD and the ADD that everybody has. 
I feel like we're focused right now on education and what this is going to mean and we need more funding, um, we need more support, the kids need more technology, um, you know, teachers need more training in using the technology and teaching kids how to use technology, kids need more training. Is, is this recency bias? So after all of this is said and done and we go back to whatever our new normal is, because things will never be the same like they were, right? Like they just never will be no. the same. But whatever our new normal is and, you know, everyone calms down and we can literally go back outside and interact with one another and we can go back to school, go back to work and kids can come back to those facilities and learn and socialize with their friends. Are we going to lose this sense of urgency on the changes that actually need to be made to revamp K through 12. Because, I mean, historically, you look at K through 12 where it used to be a schoolhouse and you had one teacher literally doing every single thing. And it's like, we haven't changed much, man. We really haven't changed much. Right. And it's like, when will we actually change? I just hope that this is the reset that we all needed. Um, as professionals and as a nation and as a, a, a universe to realize that we got to make some huge changes in, in K through 12, um, specifically with public school, because it's not working. It's not, it's not whatever the objective was supposed to be, which I believe is student achievement and getting kids college and career ready. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. I think it's being done. It's probably not being done at the schools that need the most. Um, That's a good point. One thing I found, and, and one reason I started teaching Kate, one reason I came to high school, I would never teach elementary school. I, I, I say proud anybody that's teaching elementary, even you to do middle school. I cannot do that because yeah, it takes a very special person. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. Um, but then also you look at me coming from dealing with adults, that's too much of a change. Right. But one reason I came to high school is because I started, when I was doing my dissertation, I saw there was a lot of inequality in how money is being spent. Mm -hmm. And I saw that firsthand three months ago. I went to this one school in North Cobb, that school, it didn't even it, it didn't it felt like it's a private school. Mm -hmm. It was a it was it was just different. And the things that I have to do working at a Title One school, which I love. I mean, I love working to my students. I love everything about it. But the things that I have to do to try to just be myself is so much more difficult if I had to work up there because they, it's like a lot of schools just okay. Title One schools, you, we get more money, right? Right. We get um. More supplies. Like, I know, like, at my school, I have, I'm in charge of over eight computer carts and iPads, where this other school had one for the whole department. So I know there's a lot of things we get that's better. But at the same time, they are more successful because of the money and the endowment and the parents in that part of county compared to down here. And then I also say that even the administration, how they deal with the students is different. A lot of administrators can look like you and I. Right. will come to school that's predominantly you and I and Brown students with a very large, small percentage of anything else will come in with stigmas and prejudice to those students and start acting out on those prejudices and stigmas to whereas it doesn't make nothing better. It makes things worse. And then you start seeing that when you get to this case right here. So was that like my school, we had a great idea. Um, this happened to have like um, a men's conference and women's conference. It had everything that could be done great. Like, I have been really kind of, like, in the background, just kind of, you know, just seeing how things work and operate. And I got I jumped into the men's conference. We had some great ideas. We had one meeting, and as one meeting, we went there. Everything got thrown away, turned around to where it basically was a whole bunch of people from the county coming in to talk to these young men. And I'm like, 
Y'all do know that all they get done is talk to. You can't keep talking to, to um, young boys and expect them to be better. You need to actually make them be part of the process. Right. We don't make them part of the process. So when you look at the ideas of like how we're doing this teaching, when how many times have we asked our students what would be the most beneficial thing to help you be both engaged and participate in education knowing you got to be at home? You've never asked that question. Never. We just told give them stuff. So if we just give them stuff like as if we know what's best for them, we don't because we can't we can't even walk not all teachers have already administrators or county representatives have walked in the shoes of some of these students because right. everybody's shoes are different based on when you brought up in your cultural background right. that makes it more difficult so no i don't think it's gonna get better i think it's gonna maybe get worse because now what's gonna happen is probably we'll start getting more trainings by people that really don't know how to use the technology themselves right. there's one thing to know how how it works the other they know how it works in practicality Right. I know how Canvas works by being both a student and teacher. I know how Canvas right. works by being both student and teacher. And I know the Google Classroom, I'm both student and teacher. Right. Now, if I'm just a person, okay, yeah, I went to this train, I know everything about Canvas, here's how to use it, you're not going to know how to make sure you get a, t a student buy-in for it. So right. unless we do that, it's not going to help. Like you said, your school district and your schools, y'all are one-to-one. -one. I remember, I grew up in South Central LA, the most ghetto school you ever went to. I remember many occasions where we couldn't go outside because there was a gang shooting outside. Many times, my basketball, baseball practice got canceled because we had to be on lockdown. That's the school I went to. My first day of high school, I saw a dead body. That's my school. But we had typing. None of our, I have yet to see a typing class. Yeah. We try to do all this stuff with STEM. The students right. don't even know how to type. Yeah. And I took a typing one, class one, in high school. Yeah. And one fundamental part of STEM is knowing how to use a computer. Yeah. We should have, now I, I agree, I agree with you, we should at least be able to introduce and have an elective as far as code, I has teach students like the basis of computer uh, science. But let's just teach them how to type on a computer. Yeah. And then we can teach, because like I know one class I taught in college is literally how to use Microsoft Office. Yeah. Yeah. We should offer that. That should be a requirement. If you want to make things better, start making that requirement. You take at least one time in elementary school, one time in middle school, one time in high school, and at least they're going to be better than what they are right now. Agreed. Because like you said, mm -hmm. I spend, I, I take out two weeks of my my um lesson no okay i gotta teach y'all just how to use a computer yeah yeah it's two months of i'm not doing nothing else i'm gonna teach you by teaching you how to use a computer yeah and now we are throwing all these okay now go use a the computer they don't know how to do they're it they're lost <laughs> yeah they're lost and, so their, and their parents I'm are pushing lost my, and the parents are lost because some parents are not using it because yeah the, using a cell phone is not the same as using a keyboard exactly Exactly. Or even the keyboard on the iPad is not the same as using a cell phone. Once you start wanting to type of work. Right. But to teach them that, that takes time and effort. And, we, and yeah, I say the technology is good, but how about now we start teaching our students how to use the technology efficiently? How right. to pull up a thesaurus um, app on a computer, pull up, pull up a dictionary, see the value in that. How to actually type on a computer keyboard and also how to type on the screen of a iPad or a cell phone. Then when we have situations like this, now they can actually be more efficient because now they know how to actually type in a website. Because right. a lot of our students don't even know how to do that. Because they because we assume, oh, they're a technology-based um, generation. No, but their technology understanding is very limited to As what a they consumer, use. right. As a consumer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very surface level. Exactly. Yep. Very. very. And I'm probably going to say it's not even surface level. It's still probably <laughs> underground, so it's getting closer. Facts, all facts. So let me ask you something, man. So I was thinking about this. Um, what happened? So, I mean, we're getting different dates as new information is being released. 
one minute there's, you know, oh, there's no deaths and there's no more cases in this part of the country. Then the next week, oh, they skyrocketed up to 10,000 deaths. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about an article I read about what's going on in New York. So what okay. happens if, you know, we keep getting extensions, extensions, extensions? What if this thing goes into fall? What if we're still in quarantine in fall and we have to start the brand new school year for 2020-2021 uh, using distance learning? What's going to happen, man? It's going to be a disaster. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it will be an absolute disaster because um, it is a disaster now. Um, this is what our first stories like this. Whenever it's your last day of school, you ended. That could, you could take that grade if you want to. We're not going to make you be faulty because you can't get to technologies of that nature. Right. Um, if you can get part of technology, okay, we can help your grade get up, but we cannot penalize your grade. Right. You can't take that away. Right. I can understand every rationale for that. You can't do that in a new school year, though. Right. Because everybody started off at zero. Yep. Um, so, and then it also takes about the value of learning. Let's be honest, a lot of our students, they need to be able to see that grade being a zero to help motivate them. I need to get this work in. I was that student. I right. waited until the last two months of school to do anything because I knew I can get it up. Right. But that's because I, I did just a bare minimum. If you're going to make take out me doing a bare minimum, I'm not going to be very motivated. Um, I know my school district, we're out for the rest of the year. But the whole COVID-19, it's just... And a lot of this is the political science part of me. There's something that's called the Eastern model. And the Eastern model is about how you control the population. And one aspect of that model, that if you still fear, you can do whatever you want as far as changing policy. Mm-hmm. We already had 9-11. We got the Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. Now we got COVID-19. What are we going to get after this? Something's dramatically going to change because everybody is so afraid. Right. And if you go back and look at this, I remember in my school... Half of us was out in December. I was out for two and a half, three months. Two, two and a half, to almost a month. Sick. Nobody knew what it was. Wait, you COVID-19 said December? happened in 2019. No, December. And, um, my last day of school was December 23rd. I was sick from December 23rd to half of January, and no one knew what it was. It wasn't the flu. I tested negative for that. My wife was sick. My son was sick. Only person that did not get sick was my daughter. Wow. We had a trip to go to L.A. We cannot take a trip to L.A., which I'd love to go see my parents and get some good um, South L.A. food. We did, We had to cancel that trip because no one knew what it was. We had every, and I said, like I said, like um, my wife and I have been saying, if we go test, to get tested, we probably get tested positive because we probably did have COVID-19. Right. And we probably got antibodies that no one's looking at. Right. So you have all these elements that no one knows. So we got to first get past this idea of like who has antibodies. How can we find? Because you need the antibodies to get a um, cure for it, or right. at least a, um, a vaccination for it, or whatever you call it. I can't think of that right now. Yeah, yeah, that works. But yeah. there is so much as unknown to where it's like, I can legitimately see that happening to where this summer is going to be very, very interesting. And it's so much as unknown. Um, I'm very curious to see what's look. I'm By the end of June, I think we have a better idea. Yeah, definitely. But it's... And like I know, um, it's the schools are not. It's I don't know. It's gonna be crazy, scary. Um, a lot of the college universities are already saying next year they're gonna go online anyway. Yeah, that gives you a heads up for something's going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It, I'm afraid for our students because like if they don't have technology and they're not 
I don't know. It's because they did. They already, a lot of them are disengaged. And like, I have a lot of um, gifted and honors classes, and a lot of my students are disengaged. And these are the same students that would come to class. I can kind of push them to be engaged. They would do things. Mm-hmm. Now they don't have that extra push. Right. But this, I mean, if they do this, I mean, something has to be put in place. And no matter what, you got to get a group of people together. But my prayer and my hope is that group, that group that gets together are not the same political people that's making decisions based on what they think is best without actually looking at what the students and the teachers can utilize to be the best. Well, I think uh, the president released something uh, either yesterday or the day before where it was like Jerry Jones was going to be a part of his committee. It was like a bunch of like billionaires and all. I mean, I'll be honest. We're all capitalists living in America. Um, but you gotta a, be. <laughs> there's a difference between being a, a capitalist with a heart and with compassion. So like a socially responsible company like um, Tom's, you know, or Starbucks. Yeah versus just being a just straight out vicious capitalist it's dollars over bodies you know because that's what it feels like it's come to be um and so i know jerry jones is a part of it and then i I didn't recognize some of the other names but allegedly they're all you know top ceos and entrepreneurs and billionaires and so we know what that's about you know they're looking at the data like they're, they're they're about numbers so my fear is that if that's who he's relying on to start opening up the schools, and that's what department. So this is a committee to put together to open up the schools. No, Jerry this, Jones. This is a this is a committee to open up the entire country. Oh, that's still a bad idea. But go ahead. <laughs> definitely, a, definitely a bad idea. And so what I'm thinking is. Are the departments of education, what's the Department of Education going to say? Are they following this lead from a federal standpoint? And if the federal uh, Department of Education is saying it's time to open schools back up before they should, then will the state, you know, Department of Education do the same thing? And of course, you know, the school districts are going to do whatever the, the state this, uh, the State Department of Education tells them to do. So yeah. I'm nervous, man. I'm really, really nervous. I'm worried. Um, I don't. I don't fear much. Uh, but God, you know, this is scary. This is scary, man. This is scary. Uh, I mean, there's a. You know, I won't discuss them here, but you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a big conspiracy guy, but. I do listen to everything. I pay attention to everything. And I process the information and try to validate what's credible and what's not. And there's some scary stuff out there that has some credibility to it. So, um, you know, we, like you said, in June, we will see how long this thing is going to last. Um, It is scary that uh, most universities are already saying that, you know, they're basically shut down until 2021 as far as, uh, being on campus, like everything's going to be yeah. online. Um, so let's let's talk more so about the students. So what do you think um, with us not having school pretty much for the rest of the school year? We're not sure what's going to happen uh, at the beginning of the next school year. What's going to be the long-term effects? Like we, we kind of addressed it a bit. Um those kids that are already disengaged, um, kids who are behind uh, their grade level, whether it's in, you know, reading, you know, whether it's in literacy or if it's in math or, you know, what's going to happen? 
to, to student achievement? What's going to happen next school year? Like, what's it going to look like? I was talking about that because I know we, I teach, I got both the AP class and I may have a class that has EOC or state exam in it. And I know next year I'm walking into, I'm going to have to reteach everything more than I already do. Yep. Like there's going to be so many holes. And I was just thinking about like students that's leaving me, they typically do pretty good in the 12th grade government econ class. Mm-hmm. I told the teacher like, I'm sorry, y'all, but they, they probably, and mind you, my class has got through most of the material. We had two weeks left and they're still going to be behind. Because so now you in, in you got the summer coming up, which was already going to relax and lose information. But they've been on summer since March. Yeah, that's March, April, May, June, July. That's five months. Yep. Of totally disengagement. Yep. And it's 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 going to be very interesting to the point to where I even wonder are colleges going to give people passes even next year. Keeping in mind what we're talking right now, can you really hold with uh, being all fair? Like, use and again, I look at everything from the idea of utilitarianism. Yeah. Best decision is the benefits the most, right? Um, and and that's how I base everything. If it doesn't benefit the most, I don't agree with it. I think it's a great idea. Like, I know a lot of people don't like the idea of how um, college board this year they changed up the AP exams. I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was the most college ready test you could take. A lot of people's mad at that. I'm like, well, maybe this is something they should be start doing anyway. Because now you're forcing them to be take a college level assessment. Next year, what are they going to do? Are you still going to do this again? But it's all about college admissions. How can you fairly grade students' GPAs with this in mind? This is going to be a hole in their GPA no matter what. Because I know for a fact there will be a lot of students that might get A's and B's in my class. If we was in class, they may not have got that grade. Right. Just because my expectation could be a lot higher there in the classroom, they could be right now online because I'm taking consideration. A, right. I know one student fact he has computer, but his internet be going goes in and out. Yeah. I can't hold you accountable for be missing our deadline. So right. the long term effects, it's going to be very the t- the student station is going to be very far behind, and, t- and teachers got to be ready to be very compassionate and be understanding. That your lesson plan means nothing because you gotta make sure these students are prepared to walk out this and be active people in society. Regardless of your elementary, middle, high school, these people are all part of society. And then if you teach in high school like I am, these students are about to get ready to move into the workforce, even more so, or go to college and stuff like that. How are we gonna get them prepared for what they'll happen there? And then the colleges, how are you gonna get how are you gonna understand that these students are coming in less prepared than they ever have before? Right. This is almost like unheard of since like even World War One, War Two, where you literally gonna have a, a large set of population is not gonna be prepared to move to the next level, and it always has a back. It always has a counter, you know, backlash to it. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't think there's no PD that can get you prepared for this. Um, there's no. no executive committee can they can tell you what we are gonna do to make this better. You can't because it is something that's totally impossible to make better and. The people that's going to be hurt the most are going to be those students because I struggled my first year of college and I went through my whole straight school year. Right. What are they going to do? They lost a whole five months. Right. Right. And you talk about GPA, that 11th grade, that 9th, 10th, 11th grade is the most important part of your GPA. That 11th grade now has an asterisk by it. <laughs> if you're right now, going yeah. to 12th grade next year. So I feel bad for the seniors right now because they're not going to be ready to go to college. They're not. Right. They, they losing ground. Right. They did not have, they they, they missed out on the whole senior year. Yeah. Then 11th graders now, they're not going to be ready for college either. They're not going to be ready for 12th grade either. Right. How are we going to get them ready for it? Right. And then if we're not in school, we have to do stuff digitally when 
teach, okay, even, let's say, for instance, somebody gets wrong, okay, let's make every student have um, a computer or iPad. Right. We just talk about how they don't know how to use it. Yeah, that means nothing. Yeah, <laughs> that means nothing. So with yeah. it, if they, I don't think, I, and I'm not, I'm being, I'm just being looking at the idea, forget from looking at the idea of utilitarianism, there is no option that benefits the most here. No matter how you look at it, somebody's going to be hurt. Be it parents that's already being hurt. Yeah. Because I feel bad for any parent that has to still go to work and find something to do with their kid, particularly the kid out of age to take care of. Right. And then let's talk about the, the students. We've talked about them already. Then let's talk about the teachers. A lot of us are struggling because even, let's say, even if every student gets a computer or iPad, we still may not know how to use that stuff. Exactly. Because the professional development or professional learning has not met the needs of actual educators. Like I told you, at my school, a lot of my colleagues use educational instructional technology um, because they get their name on like this little pamphlet that goes out and they change it like every month. And I feel like a lot of people were doing things just so we can get the Apple certification. I even seen a drop off once we were officially named the Apple certified school. A lot of people stopped like using the technology. But if you and so like this pamphlet that comes out every month, um, I wish I had I wish I had a picture of it. I would share it. Um, but basically, it'd be like in Mrs. Del Monte's class, um, for the students to learn characterization, they use the PowerPoint of their favorite character. And it's like very, again, like surface level. And it's like, why? Like, why did you use that technology wow. or that assignment or standard or, or learning objective? Like, you didn't have to do that. And like, I'm wow. always a proponent of, um, I don't know if I got that from Robert Marzano or just experience, but I'm sure it's a research somewhere. I try to get from point uh, A to Z as fast as possible, right? Like, I try to be, I want to be engaging, but I also want to keep it as simple as possible. So I never use instructional technology if I don't have to. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I'm not doing anything extra. And I know in education, and this is a whole different episode, but in education with the observational cycle, you know, we all know it's a dog and pony show. Someone can, <laughs> can turn it up, right, for two, three, four, however many times you get observed during that school year. You can turn it up. The kids know when they see the principal, assistant principal come in with their clipboard or laptop. Everybody knows it's a dog and pony show. That does not mean that's how that class looks Monday through Friday, 180 instructional days throughout the school year. Amen. We all know that. So that that data is not really reliable, especially because if you look across the country, the observational data doesn't even necessarily match student achievement. That's like the Amen. biggest thing like in leadership right now. But um you know, like you said, summer lag is definitely going to be an issue because now it's longer. It's extended. Uh, the kids are struggling with the technology. But think about this, man, because um, and I've talked about this uh, with my, my cohorts in my grad program um, and educational leadership. And we were kind of complaining like about our program and our professors and they're giving us like all of this work and stuff like that and I was just honest with my cohorts and saying look guys I can't really focus like I normally focus and I'm like one of those people where if there's a paper I have to write there's something I gotta read there's whatever the project or assignment is I get it done and like and it's gonna right. be top quality right. I haven't been able to focus man and, you know, everybody, thankfully, uh, and my family um, is healthy and I'm healthy and I'm grateful for that. But what about those kids 
where their grand grandparents are in the hospital. You know, grandma's in the hospital yeah. because she caught it and then now she's got pneumonia and now everybody's like worried, you know, walking on pins and needles because grandma's 87, she's got pneumonia, she's got the coronavirus. You know, what happens if, you know, I was just looking the other day, um, what's his name? The basketball player plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves, um, Carl Anthony, uh, Towns. Anthony Towns. His mother died, dude. Like, his mother is yeah. gone. And I think about that, and I'm like, wait a second. So you're telling me someone who's in a top 1%, although he's an African-American male, and so that's a difference, but still, top 1%. His mother had access to, I'm sure, the best specialist resources, whatever she needed to get healed from this virus. Died. Yeah. Yo. Yo, how's that going to affect him when he gets back on the court? Is he going to get back on the court? Is he going to retire super early? Like, what's going to happen with him? And so when we think about the kids, I think about that. Like, how have their lives been affected by, you know, their family? Who in their family has been sick? Not even necessarily losing their life or getting sick. But what about people who are now impoverished because of the virus? Right. All of the parents who worked in retail, whether they were, you know, a manager or a lot of people not working. A lot of people are not a lot working, of man. Are not working. We had what? What was the number? Almost um, thirteen plus million uh, who were who were listed as unemployed last time I yeah. checked. So if we got thirteen million Americans uh, unemployed or what they call underemployed, yeah. How's that? How's that work? Like, how does that affect the kids? Because it does, and the research shows. Like, if a kid doesn't have the necessities they need in life, it dramatically impacts their ability to learn. Not only does it yeah. impact their ability to learn, but when you add the technology piece into it, and they already were struggling with the technology piece. Yep. And if they're already behind grade level in either uh, math. Uh, literacy or, or, or literacy period as far as reading and writing, like, what does that look like? What yeah. happens to them? I almost feel, and this is just me throwing an idea out there, man, I almost feel like um, regardless of what happens in, in June, if we're able to go back outside and then everything is back to whatever this new normal is, I almost feel like everything that happens next year is a year for us to get things back together. For, for us to transition into whatever that new normal is going to be. Because test scores are going to be terrible across the country next year. I guarantee it. Those test scores not only impact students, but they impact us as educators. It impacts the entire community because now a school that normally performs well is not going to be performing so well. And, st and schools that struggled already, they're already at the lower tier and the state was looking at potential takeover. Those kids are already behind. They're going to continue to be behind. Yeah. Like, so I feel like everything has to be paused, even going into, you know, the 2020, 20, uh, 21 school year. Like, you just got to, I don't want to say just throw away a year, but, I mean, we're dealing with something that's literally life or death. Whether people are surviving after catching it or people are losing their jobs, this is life or death. People are losing, losing yeah. their livelihoods and they're losing their lives. They're losing their ability to focus. They're losing all sense of sanity um i know you've seen like all of the domestic violence numbers that shot up they're going higher yeah Ch what about child abuse oh that's that's skyrocketing it's not being reported 
You got a dad who's lost his job. He's drinking nonstop. The wife is home. She's getting on. She his may nerves. not be working. Yeah, she lost her job. She's drinking. The kids are getting on his nerves. What does that household look like? Divorce rates gonna go up like like it's gonna be crazy. Twenty twenty one. Shoot in the trash can, man. It, and if you look at time. it, the, the structure of the black and I'm gonna say the black family. I can't speak from a brown family because that's not what my research is on. Mm-hmm. The structure of the black family was already fractured before this occurred. Mm-hmm. So now you Agreed. throw this element into that. No, nobody, no matter what you say, the conspiracy, no one knew this was about to happen like this. Right. No one knew that basically we had we be in another depression. They got call let's call it what it's another depression. Everybody it's a depression. It. It's a, it's a um, yeah. And this 2008 was a depression too. We call it a recession, but no, yeah. this is another depression. We could throw bailouts. Off. It, it's it's bad because people, yeah. the normal people, are hurting worse than they hurt in 2008. Yep. So you already look at you have the problem with the black family. The black community is already being targeted from different um, issues as far as education, the lottery system, and even the idea of politics and policies. Now you got this element in there. It's gonna make it even more painful. And yeah. I would even go as far as saying this can probably be the most drastic change for the black community. Even let's, let's go past the rights movement. Let's go back post Reconstruction. Yeah, like it's going to be a drastic change. And the question is, will we be able to recover? That's a question I don't know. But the the signs are saying we wasn't recovering already. Right. It doesn't look very good. And right. the only thing we can do as teachers that are conscious and aware and are not doing this for the idea of, I want to get money because I, again, I don't see why nobody want to be a teacher to have money. Um, <laughs> I just don't get it. I mean, I'm not doing horrible, but I also got a doctor degree. So there's a reason why I'm not doing this horrible, mm-hmm. but I don't, I just don't get the money aspect. Cause you got to do, cause you really love people. And if you really love people, you got to understand that. Yeah. You got standards, but those students, they don't care about no dang standard. They need to help them be able to be better because yeah, if they come back, they probably doing some stuff at home. You should make that assumption. You got a class of 30, particularly, like, say, you live at, working at a school like I am a Title I. Mostly all of us, all, all my whole school is um, free to reduce lunch. They probably got something going on at home. You can teach them, but you need to make sure you touch them. Like, I remember um, right. one thing I did, this was right before, this is like, beginning of March. My AP students, I have never, I have never in my career met some people that are so stressed out. And this is what I told them to do. You know what? We're going to stop the class. Put all your stuff away. Put your hands down on the table. Y'all take a 10-minute nap. Yeah, that's real. They man. were like, what? What's your hands? Like, like, and some of them, had, had, they had such a hard time just shutting down. Yeah. And, and we have to be able to start doing that. That needs to be a practice because our students are dealing with so much stuff. And I was shocked, like, oh, my God. I remember I had one young lady. She's, she's the smart, a very bright girl. She just kept wanting to do other work for another class. Like, that work's going to be there. Put your head down, relax, and don't think for the next 10 minutes. Yeah. And just to get them to do that. And once they did it, they also, they just, they, just, they, they body, they just, they eyes, they look better because they have so much other stuff going on outside of our class. Right. And now with this, the idea of what we're going to have to do as far as really, you know, making sure that our students are, um, what kind of style I say, they, they are emotionally well, it's going to be at higher importance. But guess what? Administrators need to make sure that we're emotionally well too, and it takes more to make us emotionally well to get some donuts and, a, and some um, free lunch. Exactly. You gotta, we need some counseling. We need some some downtime. The next meeting, everyone have a faculty meeting. We're not gonna talk about nothing. 
Just sit down and relax. Don't say nothing. Don't look at your phone. Just relax. It's amazing how doing that for two minutes will change the whole dynamic of what happened in that day. And yeah. next year, I say, no, even if we do it online, you have a Zoom meeting, all right, guess what? We're not doing nothing. Y'all stay here. Let me see y'all faces. We're not going to say a word for two minutes. Listen to some soft music. Yeah, let's listen to some jazz it, or classical music. Yeah. yeah. Because the psychological effects that you were pointing to is crazy, and we have no idea. There's, there's students out there that probably lost their parents to this. Yeah. Um, from either medical or psychological effects. And these effects are going to be long-term. We all are going to be affected by this long-term. We're going to be talking about this when we're in our 60s and 70s. And yeah. who knows what the world will look like at that point. This yeah. is like living through a world war. It's, we're not going to ever forget it. And Agreed. as much as everybody makes everything, we're so polarized by politics and economy, we forget that the people are the most important part. And there are some people hurting. And I will honestly say some of our students are hurting the most and every time we turn on the news, we don't hear them talk about our students. At they all. never talk about the kids, but whatever is going on, yeah, the stock market is bad. The kids are doing worse. Yeah. And um, when you start looking at people talking about the kids, that's how you know the people actually really care about the situation. Right. Because the most vulnerable people, I'm sorry to say, and my parents are in their 80s and I love them dearly, they're not probably the older people. It's those kids that are not in school no more. Yeah. Some of them are not eating. They don't have the confines of seeing their favorite teacher. Yeah. Um, they don't have the confines of being prepared. Like I have my students, like we do popsicle sticks. That's how I get to know my visual. They say, right. I miss putting my popsicle sticks in the baseball cap. Those little things they miss. And it, it's crazy. Like that's what we have to, that's what we worry about. Economy. We need to worry about how we'll make these kids better and how we'll make them be ready and moving on, move forward because. If you look at every time you have a major um, event in the world, like I'm gonna look at me, okay, I grew up in the LA riots. They had this big commission report about everything that happened with LA riots. They never did nothing with it. We are seeing, if you look at, talk to any teacher, you have ample data to say that our students need help. Now we need to go do something with it. So, how can we make things better? Talk to the students, let the students be the center of the research, let the students be the center of the conversation to where they feel empowered. And I'm not talking about talking to the students that are in, and again, you need to have students across the board. Talk to the students that are in the affluent communities, also in the poor communities. Don't stigmatize no student. Let that voice be heard and then make decisions as a collective of how we're going to help these students out. Because just look at the seniors this year. Think about, think about your eighth graders and your middle school. Think about the ones that's graduating. They, they're losing the one of the most fun times of the year. Yep. And they're never going to be able to get that back. And nope. every adult can say they remember when they left from middle school to high school and when yep. they graduated high school. Every adult can say they remember something about that. Those students, they remember, oh, yeah, I was at home. No eighth grade prom. No nope. eighth grade graduation. The eighth, uh, eighth grade does, um, what is it, at the end of the year? I guess like eighth grade field trip where they, you know, go somewhere. And That's none, canceled. None of that. None of that. Yeah, like you said, man, we're going to be talking about this for a long time. Um so let me, one last question I want to ask you. Has this changed your career trajectory? Has this changed your, um, have you been considering, like, am I doing the right thing? Have you thought about 
you know, moving on or, I mean, you've done a lot to get here. So it's kind of funny me asking you this question, knowing what you've done just to be certified and come down to K through 12. But have you thought about doing something different because of not necessarily um, what's going on with K through 12, but because of the pandemic and just thinking about, you know, taking care of you and your own family? Because, you know, that's number one before you can take care of the kids is taking care of your own family. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I have actually been thinking more about actually moving up the ladder. When I first started teaching, I never wanted to be an administration again. Mm -hmm. I, I think every gray hair I got right now on my face is because of when <laughs> I was an administrator. And I got quite a bit of gray hairs. And there other, there, I've ne I'll probably be white in another five years. I got some gray hairs. <laughs> um, but now with all this, I started looking, since looking at this whole last year, because I had a new principal come in. And I'm and not a bad principal. It's just... I am all about the students because I can identify those students because I was a lot of my students right. um, growing up where I grew up and had to deal with my principal and being stigmatized with being just angry, just basically being a thug or being a gangster. Mm -hmm. I look, I dress a certain way because I want people to look at me and say, okay, oh, me, he must be a game baby. And then say, oh no, he has a doctor's degree in law right. um, because it's changing your whole dimension. It's just, you see people's minds get blown. So now I'm more in, I'm, I'm now actually thinking about, wanted to be in administration more than I have ever before when I came to K-12 because I was like, I ain't doing it. Yeah. Now, I'm at least thinking about it, considering it. Um, okay. I already have, like, everything for leadership. It's just a question of getting my state to approve it. Right. And if they approve it, I'll look more into it. I'm not taking no more classes for it, but I'll at least look at the classes I took. Yeah. And they do that, I'll be in administration because, like you said, there's an, I don't think there's enough administrators that really understand our students from a culture perspective. So just because you're a black principal, not mean you know how to be, how all black people are. Because there's different aspects of all of our culture. There's more affluent black people, and there's more poor black people. We all, because we may share the same skin color, don't mean we have the same culture. And I don't think there's enough of those particular principals that really understand the culture of their student body fully to understand how to make decisions for them. Because if that was the case, a lot of decisions that was made would not be made, never been made. Because, again, if you empower the student to be the center of the conversation, and not just two or three, or the ones you see, or the ones you talk to, the overall student body, at least given the option, you'd be surprised what you might find out about them. And, and for me, I'm thinking more, okay, maybe that's something I need to look more into. I love teaching. I love the classroom. But I am more thinking about, okay, maybe I would consider being in leadership. Maybe I would consider being an assistant principal or maybe even a principal or even an academic coach. Academic coach is more so my idea for the simple fact that maybe I could finally teach other teachers how to use technology in an effective and efficient way. Right. Um, but I'm more open to it to the point even my wife, Rena, was talking about maybe buying a different house or moving somewhere different just to where I could be closer with school because I, I, was, I was offered a job at another school Still has a very high uh, minority uh, population, but just in a little bit more affluent schools, so I can get a difference of like, okay, this is how it looks to be in a very, very Title One, seventy-five, eight percent free reduced lunch. Let's go to another school that's not Title One, but you still have that very high population of Black and Brown individuals. Let's just see how that dynamics works. I got blocked, so the politics was like, okay, so I have to tell you before I apply that I'm going to apply. Like that makes no sense. I just want to apply for a job. I tell you, I apply for it, right. um, but. It makes like those kind of things. I think that if a teacher wants to leave, all right, good luck. Thank you for you did. I'm not gonna stop because I don't want to have resentful. I don't want to have resent. I don't want to have a teacher's mad. Right. 
right. and that messes up the whole culture you have at your school. Those are all reasons I'm thinking that, yeah, you know what, maybe I'll be more inclined to do this stuff, but if you would have asked me this two years ago, like, you crazy thing. I'm never going to be an assistant principal or anything. Like, you out of your mind. And I remember when I was hired, the guy was like, oh, yeah, you should definitely be a principal. Like, no, that's not me. I ain't doing it. And now I'm here. Yeah, at least I'm thinking about it. I'm more inclined to look at it, um, most definitely, because there, it needs to be more. I think and what I've, one thing I've seen in my three years in K-12, there's a lot. And I'm not going to talk bad about nobody. You got to do what you got to do financially. But I always I always look at the idea of Plato's um, idea of a functional democracy. A functional democracy is where you have people that do jobs, not for the idea of money, because they legitimately like to do that job. Mm-hmm. And some people might say that looks like socialism, capitalism, I mean, or communism. But think about this. If you ever get a chance to go to Cuba, you have some of the best doctors in the world in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And there are doctors because that's something they actually wanted to do. Most right. of them, at least. They didn't do it for financial reasons because they get getting paid as much as the janitor. Right. They became a doctor because they legitimately liked the crap of being a doctor. Mm-hmm. So if you have administrators that legitimately love to be an administrator because they love the students, they become better at that job instead of doing it for the extra amount of money. And that changes everything in itself because now the idea is not about the politics or how I'm going to be able to make more money. How can I help this young man and young woman that, that will never say they need help? But when I look at them, I can say, you know what? Something ain't right. Let me right. help you. Right. And we are missing that because, let's be honest, in both our situations, a lot of things we do are based off people making decisions that have no idea how our students are being affected by it. Agreed. Agreed. So, yeah, that, that, that really scares me, and that's something I always thought was important is that we got to really – everything's like, oh, I love students, but then you go do the stuff that be like, you love students, and you make that decision? Yep. Like, that hurts some students right there. Yep. Yeah, yep. you may help you out, but the students got hurt. And let's be honest, you the you're very minimal when you look at you. If you have this one teacher, you got ninety seven students. Think about that. It's ninety seven compared to you one. Yep. The decisions will be made for at least majority of that ninety seven, not you. Yep. If it means you have to stay up a little bit later one night, okay. If it yep. helps the students, cool. Yeah. Um, and I think that that would help. And I hope that one thing that comes out of this whole COVID nineteen that we really start looking at to appreciate the students and look at other people's jobs, like sped teachers, things like that, whereas that it's hard, but at the same yeah. time, we got to really help each other out. We got to really work together and yeah. don't be so much in our little bubble. And it's hard tonight in our bubble because you got state exams thrown at you, you got this report coming at you. It's hard not to get strapped in your bubble, right. but maybe if we change the dynamics to where, you know what, we don't have to do every PD where you go to this classroom. Okay, stay in your classroom, pull up your computer, we're going to do a PD virtually. We've done it. We're doing it right now. Yep. That right there would change the whole dynamic. Oh, yep. well, we don't, know if student, we don't know if teachers are paying attention. Okay, give an extra ticket. We're going to answer some questions. You would know then. If you right. fail it, now you got to come do something else. Oh, guess what? People will be more bought into doing the actual activity and listening to you more. Right. There are so many different ways that you could do things that just helps. And those same things we could do with the students. Yep. Uh, like I know what you say. You, you, I use a lot of instructional technology because I'm a tech head and I like it. And I like the idea when my students come to class Okay, now let's see what y'all know. Let's do some activities, do some games. Let's do some simulations. Let's see what you know. Because I don't want to spend, because that's how I modify me not having a lecture. Okay, you do it at home, listen to my lecture at home, and let's get into this stuff using this technology. Let's do this game. Let's do, like, I never thought in the world, I play Monopoly to teach them the Gilded Days. I never thought I would do that. But that's not something I could do if they didn't have the background knowledge. Right. To have more of that kind of buy-in can really help the students because is every student going to do the work? No, but at least if you hold them accountable, to know that, hey, when you come in the next day, I'm assuming you got this work done. 
if you don't have this work done, you're going to be in a very bad situation. You're not going to have as fun as everybody else. Right. Yeah. Those are things I hope we we really get and we really learn because our students need our help. And our parents, if we help the students, we can also help the parents without even seeing them. Yeah. Because then the student comes in happier. And then the parent feels better. And maybe that can help the dynamic what's going on in that house as well. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. Absolutely right. But um, back to the to the point that we made earlier is that K through twelve needs to be revamped, man. We got we gotta change yeah. it. We gotta change it's it. It's still twentieth century, maybe nineteenth century in some degrees. Yeah, we gotta change it. Um but yeah, I'm glad to hear that you know you still want to remain in education, because um, you know I'll be I'll be curious to see as I continue to go through this this series, you know what's going to be some of the answers I get. If anyone's going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm after this, I'm out of here, you know. But uh, we shall see. We shall see. But you know, a lot of what I found and what I'm seeing, even with my people, I'm thinking about a lot of us want to get out of it because we're tired of the stress. Yeah. And and some of this may be causing some more stress because I guarantee there's some administrators and some principals, some districts that's making this even more stressful than it already mm-hmm. is for the teacher as it is. And because a lot of people, they don't get out of it because I think I think a lot of teachers, they legitimately have something about students they like. Right. They get out of it because they can't deal with all the stress. Right. And I look at stress differently because I know what it's like they have to go up for tenure. That's right. that's hell. Right. This ain't nothing I do with that. And right. I think it's a little bit easier. Like having to deal with Okay, my class costs fourteen hundred dollars, and you just failed. Have to talk to a parent about that. It's a lot harder than this right now. Right. And I think I see stress differently, but a lot. But we need to be able to actually understand that teachers are very stressed. Even though if you're in the ministry, you might be stressed. You as a county representative might be stressed. But right. if you help the teacher not be stressed, it filters up, and then everybody becomes less stressed. Because then, guess what? The numbers will be better. Which I don't get. I thought I thought um, No Child Left Behind was dead. I still cannot get my head around that. How everything is data driven, and I'm like, wasn't that no child left behind? I yeah, I never got that since I started teaching high school. I'm like, wait a second, yeah, that was data driven. That was no child. Like, why are we still doing this? Well, because now we got uh, what is it? Uh, Every student succeeds act the ESSA, and so ESSA still kind of looks like no child left behind, except um, well, the ma- major proponent is that the accountability is still there, but they gave it all to like the states like they gave everything to the state so the state mandates what happens but there's still accountability and if you don't reach that accountability then there's um penalties and uh that's okay. what I, that's where that stress first starts and then it just continues to trickle down unless you can show those numbers so i don't know man i don't know see that kind of stuff gotta go too because i mean yeah we gotta have there's, there's different ways you can make people be accountable yeah, a number because that number don't say everything. It doesn't. It doesn't. I've been in many meetings where I have to justify my numbers and I have to right. tell them, like, look, I have I have a student now. This girl, I had her in ninth grade. This girl is so smart, it makes no sense. She's struggling this semester. And I recently struggle because the stuff's going on at home. Ding right. dong. That's yeah. why she's not scoring like she's scoring right now. Yeah. Because stuff's going on, this stuff's going on at home now that was not going at home in ninth grade. A date, a number that can't tell you that. It says, exactly. "Oh, you must not be teaching the student well." Like, I can't fight what's going at home. Right, <laughs> I can't. We can not only control. Class block. Yeah, we can only control what we can control. You know, take everything one step at a time. But um, I'm, I'm just hoping that some major changes are made through K through 12. And um, again, going into 2020, 2021 school year, 
Um, I really do hope that uh, just, I mean, I don't want to say don't take a test, but I feel like that should, it should just be, let's get the test back and see how kids did and see how teachers did and give them feedback based on that. But nobody's penalized on that because um, there's a bigger factor, bigger factors going on than, you know, the traditional K through 12 model and you take this high stakes test and let's see what this score says about, you know, your, your teacher effectiveness and, you know, who cares? I don't, I honestly, right now I'm like, I don't care about any of that right now. I, I would, I would make an argument that there should be no testing next year. Start back yeah. in 21, 22, because everything we just said from every, if you take into consideration, everything's going with these students it's not going to look good next year. Let's get yeah. them back acclimated. Let's get them some help. Let's, yeah. And, you know, I'm looking at my counties right now. I'm looking at my county's um, webpage for hiring. We need to put more counselors in schools. We need to start. We need to put that in the Definitely. budget. Definitely. Let's get more I, counselors in this year. <laughs> yeah. I said as a part of that um, that package, you know, everybody was so hyped about the 1200 or however much uh, the stimulus check coming out. But I was like, where is the mental health part of this? Because this is something we've never seen ever like we've never we had influenza we had uh ebola we had all this other stuff we've never seen any we had the housing crisis in uh 2008 the the bubble burst we've never had anything like this ever so um for the entire world to be impacted for uh trillion dollar companies to be impacted it's like mental health is is bigger than anything right now so um i know they're thinking about Another package has been discussed, and I'm hoping in that next package, if it actually occurs, it does do just what you said. We need therapists, social workers, psychiatrists. We need all that for for everyone. Students, teachers, families, we all need it at this point. And I would say, since we're just throwing money out, I mean, we need to put some money from the federal level now keep in mind, we also anytime I, one thing I think you and I both can say that you know, money is thrown out, but how the money is used is always a question mark. Exactly, exactly. Well, like, at least let's start thinking about it. It don't have to be from federal. Let's talk about just some of these actors giving money. Let's let's, let's start getting some of some of these school districts and some of the schools specifically, and put it in the contract. This has to be done for mental health, meaning counseling. Not let's not let's not go put some paint on the, the doors. Let's not get right. some food. No. You right. have to use this money to supply counselors to both your students, your yep. faculty, and staff yep. when they come back. And then that's how you start seeing some changes. Yep. That's how you get the students better. Because then they, because then let's come out of this better than what we were. Yep. That's a way to get things better than what we were. Let's get psychological help to anybody that wants it for students, staff, and faculty, no matter what. And I guarantee we start seeing some changes. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it, man. This I will was, go. Oh yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> signing up, man. This is uh, I'm already I already have a therapist, so I'm definitely signing up for more therapy, definitely. Yeah. But um, I appreciate it, man. I this used was, to have this one. And after this, after this gets over, I think I'm definitely about to go back. Cause I, I'm my therapy was always doing jujitsu, and now I don't have jujitsu. Right. And I've been playing video games. So that's been better. But I, I think I need to go talk to somebody because choking people is not all I can do. <laughs> It feels good. Yeah, definitely. But I've been now out of jujitsu for about a month, and it's going. I'm going crazy. So yeah, I think I'm about to. Yeah. 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 Talking to people is definitely helpful for everybody. Absolutely, man. I highly recommend. What can I say? 
Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, Sometimes go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So it was no slave in our history. When no slave ships, when no misery. Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep, and I had a dream. It was all black.